All right, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We are beginning a brand new series through this book. Um, we don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, it shouldn't take too long. It won't take as long as Luke. Luke took us three years. We did the book of Revelation in one. We try to keep our series like this down to about a year. But um, we're going to start in the book of Acts for a lot of reasons, some of which you will learn today. So go ahead and turn over there if you can. The book of Acts, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would teach us. Lord, we learn from each other, we can teach each other, but we know ultimately we need you to instruct us, to convict us, to convince us, to change us. We pray that you would give us insight into your word and into ourselves. We pray that you would cultivate in our hearts a hunger for your word because of a desire to know you more deeply. We pray, Lord, that we would not only be instructed here, but that we would be changed by your spirit through the ministry of your word. In Christ's name, amen. So as a second, a first service was ending, first service was ending and some people were heading out. I'm like, oh, you guys got to hang out and you're going to do some family stuff. And they said, well, no, the, the, some of us are leaving. We're going to go up to Wisconsin because we're going to watch the Packers game. And, uh, and I understood that, you know, because the Packers are actually good and the Bears aren't. And uh, I say that with frustration. Don't, uh, don't come at me. And uh, they're, they're going up there to watch the game. And I, I, it's, they're pumped. It's the coldest day of the year. Uh, they're they're going to go up there. They're going to have a great time because they love that spectacle that they're about to observe, right? People go up to a game like that because there is a, a spectacle. There is, there is a, a challenge. There is, in a sense, a fight, a war, right? There's, a, there's some great athletics going on. We all like spectacles, right? And if you like sports, you go and you, you, you watch the games. If you're, if you're a big fan, you're, you're deeply invested. You know the roster. You know who's starting. You know who's on the bench waiting. You, you, you follow all of the details. You know the stories of, of, the, of the team and behind the team. And you know the stats and the wins and all of that stuff. You really get into it. You're not on the field. You're not really a part of the team. But you feel like you're a part of the team because you're supportive and you're invested and you care, you're interested. And I'm not mocking that. I'm saying that's a good thing. And maybe you're not into sports like me. Maybe you're just not into sports. You like, you like other things like me. Like I like movies more than I like sports. And so maybe you like movies or music or concert performances, right? And you like the spectacle of, of, of film that has been put together and, or you like, uh, you like the live concert and maybe you're not on stage. Maybe you can't do that, right? But you know all the lyrics to the songs. You know the stories behind the songs. You know the band, you know its origin, you know its story or with movies, you know the director, you know the actors, you know the script, the screenwriters. You, you get all into it. You can be a fan, you can be a spectator that is fully invested, right, emotionally, but not really participating in the event itself. It's not a bad thing. It's natural. The problem is that for many Christians today, the faith has largely become 
a spectacle, something to watch. And I'm not just talking about church. That's obvious, right? You go into a lot of churches today and it is clearly a show. They are intentionally providing a show for people to observe rather than participate in. In fact, many churches want as little participation as possible from the congregation, so much so that they, they want to turn down the volume on the congregational singing so that the, the band that's up front or the choir that's up front or whatever's up front gets all the attention. Clearly, many churches are orienting Sunday morning to be a spectacle to observe, not an offering made together to the Lord. And that's a shame. But I think over, it goes beyond that. I think there are many Christians today, many of us, who have begun to see our faith as something that we watch rather than demonstrate. We're for the faith. We know all the figures. We know the numbers. We got the book. Right? We, we, do, we do studies, you know, the books, and it's all very intellectual, it's, but it's all very much spectacle. It's observation more than participation. There's less acting out involved than reiterating or restating what others have done, and this concerns me. It concerns me not because of I see this in you people and you people better watch out. It concerns me because I know that I have the same temptation to do this that you do, that we can easily become spectators of the faith that know all the stats, that know the history, that know all the players, but aren't really involved for ourselves. Acts is going to help us challenge that temptation, overcome that temptation. In fact, what I want us to see today, if we're just gonna summarize the whole, is this. The book of Acts shows us how the Holy Spirit empowers the church to be faithful to Christ and fruitful in the world. It's the one thing I just want you to take away is we're, this is an introductory sermon to the whole book, right? Just a soft introduction to, uh, to the whole book of Acts. We're gonna go over some basics, some background material, right? We're gonna be, I'm gonna try to exhort us to, 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 to go deep into this together. Um, but this, this is the summary, right? That this book is gonna show us how the Holy Spirit empowers the church, that's us, to be faithful to Christ and fruitful in the world. Now, I've already read verses one through five for us. Let me just give you a little bit of background. The book of Acts is written, was written by Luke, right? This is uh, Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke, right? So you have Luke and Acts. It's a two-volume set that he wrote for someone named Theophilus. We're gonna talk about him in just a minute. So Luke is the one who wrote these two books. In fact, these two books are so big that comprise about a third of the New Testament. So think about that. One guy, people think like, well, Paul's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. Luke wrote a third of it with two books, right? He was long-winded. That's fine. That's good. Some books are long and good. You all like Lord of the Rings? Long-winded books, but they're supposed to be very good. I wouldn't know. I haven't read them. So you've got Luke writing these, these two, this two-volume set. And before we talk about to whom they were written, Theophilus, this just... Get on the same page about Luke. Luke is a little different from a lot of the other authors of scripture, right? We have over 40 authors writing 66 books here. Luke is the lone Gentile, meaning he's not Jewish. Our faith is very Jewish. His Jewish roots, his Jewish leaders, founders, like Jesus himself, king of the Jews. But Luke isn't a Jew. He wasn't raised as a Jew. He, 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 didn't, he didn't go through those, those practices. He didn't experience um, you know, temple. He didn't experience a synagogue. 
he was a Gentile. In fact, he was a Gentile doctor, which means that, that Luke was a very educated, educated, smart, sort of uh, right brain kind of guy, right? Uh, and, and we know that, that he was a doctor because of what we read in Colossians eleven fourteen. Colossians 4, 11 through 14. Colossians, you can, in fact, if you want to just keep, keep it simple, it's uh, Colossians 4, 14. That's where Paul refers to Luke as the beloved physician, beloved physician, right? So Luke was a doctor who had, and maybe, maybe some people wonder, right? There's no, no harm in wondering, I guess, as long as you don't take it too far. But, you know, we know Paul had some ailments. It looks like Paul had some physical ailments, thorn in the flesh. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe that's how they originally linked up. We don't know. We don't really know. We shouldn't speculate. But he's a doctor and Paul says he is beloved. He's a Gentile doctor. Um, but Paul says he's beloved because he's not just a doctor. He's not just a good doctor. He is also a Christian. He is a Christian who is a companion to Paul. He participates in some of Paul's missionary journeys. He is very present. In fact, in Philemon chapter 1, uh, verse 23 and 24, listen. Final greetings, right? Paul's sending some final greetings. And he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke my fellow workers. Luke, whatever his vocation as a doctor meant, he was a fellow worker, fellow laborer with Paul. Paul counted Luke as a friend, as a companion, and as a missionary buddy, right? They did this, they did this work together. So this, this is Luke, right? Uh, and and if, as we, we go through the book of Acts, you're gonna see Paul going on different missionary journeys. And on his second missionary journey and third missionary journey, Luke is with him. In fact, Luke, we know this because of the way Luke writes this, this, this whole book. Um, when he's involved on these missionary journeys, he starts to use the we, call them the we passages, right? All of a sudden, the author's not saying them and those people. He says we, we went down and spoke with such and such. So Paul, uh, Luke recognizes that uh, here, I gotta be a little clear here that I was involved in this, which is interesting because Luke doesn't put his name on this. He doesn't like to make a big deal about himself, but... When he's involved, he says, it was us. It was we who went down and shared the gospel. So this is Luke, educated, smart guy, uh, doctor, wrote the gospel, now writing this book called Acts. And he's writing it to someone named Theophilus. You're, you're not gonna learn hardly anything uh, about Theophilus in the Bible. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of information there, but you, we can draw a general implication that he was probably a high-ranking member of society, right? His name means the friend of God or loved of God, right? Which doesn't necessarily mean that he was a Christian. We believe he's a Christian based on everything else that we read uh, in, from, uh, from Luke as he's writing these, uh, this gospel and this account of the Acts of the Apostles to him. So we believe that he has a high standing in society because in the beginning of, of Luke, Luke's gospel, Luke addresses him as the most excellent Theophilus. Now that phrase, most excellent, was typically used uh, as a Roman title for respect and, and admiration. It, it oftentimes meant that they had some sort of official status in the Roman Empire. So whoever Theophilus was, most scholars believe that he too was highly educated, influential, uh, a man of means, highly regarded, respected by all. 
Now you can see how those two probably lined up, right? It just makes sense, right? Because you have the doctor and then this guy. They, they probably ran in some similar circles. And at some point along the way, Theophilus is converted. Theophilus is, uh, is changed. He, he believes this message that Luke has been sharing with him. And let me just say this about Theophilus. This ought to give us a real, a real moment of excitement because I, we, we sometimes forget this, that God can save anybody. God can save anybody. There's always people in our lives where you're like, never gonna happen. That person's never gonna get saved. My grandma, who I don't think was a Christian herself, but was always in church, used to say, Joey's never gonna never be a Christian. Like that. She told me that. She goes, I never thought you would ever be a Christian. Um, I was like, why aren't you praying for me, grandma? What's up? Anyways, so uh, you, you think like there are people in your life like they would never trust Christ and then when they do, or when somebody does, you go, man, look at God can save anybody. And most typically, when we say things, or when I hear people say, God can save anybody, look, and they point, it's always somebody that had like some severe drug problem, or somebody that's in jail for some heinous crime, and then God saved them. And look, see, God can save anybody. And as, as if those are the ones that are harder to save. They're not. Some seem to be harder to save in some senses. And when Jesus talks about it, it ain't those guys. It's the rich. Remember in Luke 18, Jesus says, it's a lot easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to go to heaven. Do you remember that? He said that, that's what he said. I'm not paraphrasing, right? That's what he said. And his disciples understood it so clearly, they went like, what the heck? then who's going to get saved? And Jesus says, oh no, it's impossible with man. But with God, nothing is impossible. See, Theophilus is the holy smokes. Look, that guy got saved. Right? Why would we be impressed at that guy? Because he's rich, because he's educated, because he's articulate, because he has a, great, a lot of respect in the culture. Why would we be surprised that he trusts Christ? Because people like that, and by the way, people like that are people like you. And me, we are extremely privileged to live this, in this day in this country. People like us who have means, who don't have these ongoing demonstrable needs for God's providential mercy to rescue us. We don't have a felt need for God most of the time, do we? Wealthy people don't. That's why Jesus said that. It's because when you have everything that you need, really, you don't feel desperation. You don't feel your weaknesses as much. It's a lot easier to ignore all of our needs. Now, this doesn't mean that it can't happen or that it doesn't happen. Obviously, Theophilus came to the place where he recognized, it doesn't matter how much I have, how much respect I get, or, or how comfortable my life is. Deep down, there is, there is abiding pain and emptiness. And more significant than all of that, I know that I am cursed by God for my sins, and I need his grace to rescue me. He got to that place. But it takes a miracle. Now, it takes a miracle for anybody to come to faith in Christ. It always takes the Holy Spirit working on the heart to transform us, to draw us. That happens. But with Theophilus, we should, we should say like, man, God can save anybody. Truth is, it's not harder for God to save one type of person than another. It takes the same amount of divine power to do that. But for us, we do see it far less often, don't we? People that see the bottom, 
people that experience their brokenness and their limitations and their guilt, those are the ones that come to faith in Christ. And Theophilus was one of them. So we continue through this. In the, in the first book, uh, Luke says, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he says in my first book, my first book, you already read it, right? So uh, he's talking about the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of Luke. And, the th- and we spent over three years going through Luke's gospel. Then we did the book of Revelation. Now we're coming back to the sequel to Luke's gospel. We're looking at Acts. Now the theme, if you were with us, the theme for the the book of Luke's gospel was son of man, savior of the world. Like that's the the clearest way to kind of summarize what it was all about. The son of man, Jesus, who he is, his title, the significance of that particular title, son of man, savior of the world. He brought grace and the gospel to the world, not just to the Jews, but to Jews and Gentiles, to everyone. And the purpose of Luke was very much purpose of Luke's gospel was very much to encourage Theophilus in his faith, to strengthen his faith. And if it was for his faith, we also know therefore that it should be for ours. So let me just go there to Luke chapter one, verses one through four. You can just listen. Now here's how Luke begins his gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So he's writing, like, it's it's the office, I want you to know these things and I want you to to not just repeat them back because someone taught them to you. I want you to be able to understand the ins and the outs. I want you to have answers for the questions that are being raised. I want you to have a response for the attacks that are being leveled against you and against our faith. So if it's to strengthen... the faith of Theophilus, then it is also serving to strengthen our faith. That's the first book. But now he's writing the second book. That is the sequel, right? This is the sequel. It's the, it's the companion. And it's called Acts. And people say, well, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, which is true. Sure, that's true, the, the Acts of the Apostles. But really, if you want to be more specific, it's really more about the Acts of Peter and Paul, because if you really look at it, it breaks down roughly into, well, here's what was going on with Peter and all the things around Peter. And then the second half is like, well, here's what's going on with Paul and around Paul. So you could talk about it's the acts of, of Peter and Paul, but you can also take a step back and go, well, you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a deeper sense here in which we could say it, it's a book of acts, but it's, it's really the acts of God through his church, isn't it? Like these are the things that God accomplished in the early church through broken, fallen, messy creatures just like us. It's a book of acts or works. The works of the early church, the works of God through the early church. Now, what was the purpose? Why is he writing this? Well, it's gonna be connected to the reason he wrote the gospel, right, for Theophilus. It's to strengthen his, his, his faith, to, to encourage him. He's not just writing this down because he's a History Channel nerd, right? He's not just a history buff. He's not just, he's like, I just like detail. He's not on these genealogy sites. He's, he's got a reason for this, right? And it is, it's, it's more than just chronicling works of God, which is good. He has, he has more of an agenda. He's chronicling 
God's work, which is the, the spread of the gospel and the building of the church, right? The gospel continues to go out. People are converted. Churches uh, continue to be planted. But this is also very much an apologetic. Apologetics, it's, um, it's a discipline, right? Like philosophy or anything else. But apologetics really is the art of defending the faith, it's, it's typically called, it's, it's a reasoned defense of the faith. But, so apologetics is essentially answering objections, questions, and attacks that come from outside against us. Apologetics. So it's, the apology is not a sorry about that. It's more of an answer to the questions that are being raised. And this is functioning very much like apologetics because he is providing answers to the issues that are being raised, to the misrepresentations of Jesus and the church and the doctrines that we hold to. This book helps to answer those. The attacks that, that Christians were experiencing then, the, the, the false religion of the day that was seeking to, to counteract what Jesus had preached and what the apostles were preaching. This book is given to show us what God has done and therefore what God can do, but also to give us an apologetic, an answer for why we do what we do. And the theme, what is the theme of this book? It's always helpful to know, what is the theme that runs through the whole book? Is there one? Like, what is it? And how do you understand it? Then the theme that I'm, I'm trying to lead us with throughout this whole series is very similar to what I said was our sermon summary at the beginning. So the summary is not the overall theme. It's, it's a little more detailed than that, but it's very, very similar. The theme of the book of Acts made up of three parts. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church for the spread of the gospel. Three parts, right? The theme of the book of Acts is the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church for the spread of the gospel. And I'm gonna want you to hold on to that. Uh, that's for the whole book because we can break this down more and more, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the third person of the Trinity, right? The one that gets the least attention from Baptists, uh, the, the, the one that people are afraid of because some, some, because some people have misunderstood the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, we'll just remain ignorant of the Holy Spirit then. We'll just avoid that trouble altogether which gets us into a different kind of trouble. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in the church, that, that is, in us, as God's people collectively and individually. What does his work in us look like? And, and then what purpose is it for? Ultimately, we know it's for the spread of the gospel, both in making disciples and sanctification, but in evangelism and reaching the lost. That's the theme, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church for the spread of the gospel. Now, this introductory sermon, we're just trying to give you some basic information so that we're all on the same page as we're going forward. I just want us to look at verses four and five as sort of a, an encouragement for this year, an encouragement to do a little bit more of what you've already been doing. And I think you might need the encouragement. Look at verses four and five. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, now this is Jesus speaking, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So before we get to the general encouragement, let me just address this baptism with the Spirit. There is all kinds of debate and argument, consternation, books being written, articles, 
rendering uh, and severing of relationships over just this concept of baptism and Holy Spirit. And there are some that are going to want to be very, very precise and they're going to work hard at being precise and they're going to say that, well, baptism with the Holy Spirit is one thing. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is something else. And then being filled with the Spirit is something else. And then receiving the Holy Spirit is something else. And then there are other people that want to pretend that like the Spirit isn't doing anything. And we're going to get to those passages and we're going to talk about them. We're going to be as, as, as honest and, and open as, as possible to whatever God says in these passages. But let me just encourage you with this. Sometimes we want to be a bit more precise than scripture is. It's not always a good thing. In fact, I, I think we, we want to be precise, but sometimes in our desire to be precise, we start to force onto scripture some things that maybe aren't always necessary. What I do see as we, as we look at, um, at the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of believers, clearly the Holy Spirit comes upon people in dramatic ways and sometimes in not so dramatic ways. But whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody or a group of people, it is to produce a certain effect. Sometimes it is for their conversion. They are born again, regenerated. Sometimes it is to empower them for works of service and ministry. Sometimes it is to bring great unity among them for the accomplishing of God's will. But whether it's a baptism or a receiving of the Spirit or a filling of the Spirit, it's largely the same thing. An intensification of the Spirit's work in an individual's life, but it might have different results. And it will have different results. Sometimes conversion, regeneration, uh, sometimes strengthening, sometimes unity, sometimes greater love. Sometimes for worship. So we'll get into that as we get deeper into the book of Acts. Just let's let the scripture guide us. The encouragement that I want to give you here very briefly is to do what Jesus told the disciples, which is wait. I know we've been waiting since 2000. It's getting old, right? I get it. Waiting for so much. Some of us are waiting for the shoe to drop, the other shoe to drop. Some of us are just waiting for the end. Some of us are waiting for something good to happen. But you see, what Jesus says to his disciples is, he says, listen, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Stay put. Stay together. Stay put. Because the Spirit is coming. And you're going to be baptized with the Spirit. And as I began to think about this, it occurred to me, and then I started following up with, with a lot of scripture, that often, not always, please hear me, not always, but often before God does something big, he calls us to wait. Often before God does something big in your life, he first has you wait. Often before he does something big in the life of a church, he has us wait. And we see this throughout scripture. Sometimes you have to wait for 40 days. Sometimes you have to wait for 40 years. Ask Israel. Sometimes you're just waiting for days. Ain't no thing. Just a few days. And you guys know what this is like, right? Because you can look back. Hopefully you can look back. Hopefully you haven't forgotten when God has provided what you needed or given you wisdom or delivered you after a period of waiting. We wait, don't we? God's people have always been waiters, 
right? In the Old Testament, what were they waiting for? The arrival of the Son of God. In the New Testament, what are the people of God waiting for? The arrival of the Son of God. We await his second advent, his second coming. We're always waiting. And I want to just share a, just a couple of passages with you as we conclude with this particular thought. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 25, it says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. This is a, an essential part of waiting. Waiting isn't just chilling. Waiting isn't zoning out. Waiting isn't napping. You're not waiting if you're napping. You're napping if you're napping. Napping's good, but you're not waiting. Waiting is seeking. Waiting is looking. Waiting is anticipation. Waiting is eagerness. Waiting is longing. Waiting is praying. You know, if you need to distract yourself, that's fine. You want to play some video games? All good. You want to watch Cobra Kai season four? Do that. That's good. Those are, that's common grace. Gifts meant to be enjoyed. But that's not waiting. Waiting is active. Waiting is, waiting is looking and longing and anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises. And sometimes you just have to wait before God provides. It's his timing. It's just his way. Listen to Psalm 27. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. He says it twice, right? Wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord, and then in between, he says, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Why? Because waiting is hard and scary for a lot of us. It's hard. Listen, it's not an easy thing to be patient in the midst of need or suffering. If it was easy, we wouldn't have the constant reminders to take heart, to suffer well, and to wait. But we hear it over and over again. Let your heart take courage. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Don't be afraid. I mean, you're going to be afraid, but don't let it rule you. Don't let it ruin you. Understand what you're afraid of. And now look and consider the promises of God. Meditate on what he has said he will do. And now eagerly wait for him to deliver. I remember a time in my life when I was pleading with God, pleading with God to take away this crippling anxiety that was driving me out of the ministry altogether. God, do something, praying for long periods of time, crying, and you know me, I don't even do that, but crying like God would just like do something, deliver me. I pray so earnestly, repenting of all known sins and talking to other people, getting help, talking to a counselor, getting help. And I would pray that this anxiety, this dread, this heart palpitations, the shortness of breath, that all of it would lift up. And after praying for long periods of time, I would open up my eyes and still there. <laughs> what is going on? That went on for a year. And it, and it took a variety of means for God to bring me to the place where he answered that prayer finally. And he answered that prayer through doctors, medicine, uh, spiritual counsel, uh, biblical counsel, and me changing things up in my life. It took all of that together for God to answer. So wait for the Lord. Let me, one last passage, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is written in the context to a people who keep tripping and falling and fainting because they are weak and wayward. 
if you wait for the Lord, the promise is if you wait for the Lord in his timing, he will renew your strength so that you can persevere in faith, so that you don't lose heart, so that you don't lose your mind. He will strengthen you to do the very things he's called you to do. But the answer oftentimes comes in waiting. So, why are we in Acts 2022? Well, like I said, Acts shows us how the Holy Spirit empowers the church to be faithful to Christ and to be fruitful in the world. So the reason we're reading Acts is because I want us to to remember, to see what God did, what God has done. If you remember last week, if you were here, we had an end of year sermon where we looked at Psalm 40, we divided it in half and it was looking back to see what God has done and then the second half was looking forward to see what God will do. So that's what we're doing. We're reading Acts to look back and to see what God has done. Because only then can we look forward and pray for what God can do in us, in this church, in your life, in my life, in our lives together. We're reading this book so that we can do the work the church is supposed to do, both as individuals and as an institution. And we're reading this book to learn how to properly wait when God calls us to wait. And maybe you're not yet a believer. Maybe you're, maybe you're here for a mix of reasons, but you're not yet a follower of Christ. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're here. But don't be confused. Any person here who's a part of this church, their desire for you is to be blessed by God with the gift of faith. What they want for you is what they wanted for themselves. What they want for everybody is to know the Jesus who lived, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, the one for whom we are still waiting to return. Our desire for you is to join us in following Christ. Now, you should just know that up front. Now, whether you follow Christ or not, we're going to love you. Everything's, we're, we're good. Like, you don't get tossed just because you don't believe what we believe. But that's what we want for you. And so I want to encourage you to seek the Lord with us. Because we're still seeking. We still seek the Lord. We have some answers because the book has the answers. But we're, we're still seeking to know him and to know him more. So seek the Lord with us. And by God's grace, we trust that you will find the God who is there in the person of Jesus. So this is what we're starting with, the book of Acts, where we see that the Holy Spirit empowers the church to be faithful to our Savior and fruitful in the world into which he has sent us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to read this book written by Luke, that that we might have a better understanding of you, of ourselves, of the mission, of what we're called to be and do in the world. We pray, Lord, that you would Convict us of our sins and cause us to grow in faith and piety and godliness. We pray, Lord, that we would have a joy of salvation that is rich and real. We pray, Lord, for revival, Holy Spirit revival in each of our hearts and in all of us together. In Jesus' name, amen.